0: everybody, and welcome to the NFL Road Show. Lindsay Rhodes here with a great episode for those of you who like this time of the NFL calendar as much as I do. Should acknowledge right off the bat, I'm actually on vacation right now with my family, and I forgot my microphone and stuff. So if the sound quality right now is not what you're used to, just know that I did have my microphone when I talked to my guest. So the rest of the show will sound much different than this. But I wanted to set up the conversation that, again, I think you will find interesting and hopefully helpful because we're in that time of the year when, A, everyone's back at the starting line, right? Like all 32 teams now have a chance for next season. And obviously some have a better chance than others. But as we saw with the Bengals, there are teams that could be set up to sort of come out of nowhere. And we're going to try and figure out in this episode if there's some evidence about who those teams might be. Teams that have the resources to overhaul their roster maybe a little bit quicker than others. Also, it's that time of the year when we're trying to connect dots. Like who's going where and not just at the quarterback position, though, certainly at the quarterback position, but everyone who has the money to retain free agents, who has the money to go get them, who doesn't have any money at all, and therefore it might have to cut players that we're not anticipating. And then about that, no money issue. When is there actually no money? And when can the money still be moved around the cap, manipulated. Anyway, I have a guest today who can answer all of those questions, who is uniquely qualified to do that because he is a salary cap expert. He knows how the salary cap works, which makes him like one of five people probably. He understands contracts. He spends his time figuring out the details in them and how they fit into the cap and all that good stuff so that we can go forward after listening to this and have smart conversations about what is likely to happen and who we want to go where without trying to put a square peg into a round hole financially. So without further ado, please welcome Brad Spielberger from PFF and Over the Cap. He is the author of the book, The Drafting Stage with Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap, which is another good resource to check out after you listen to this. Let's break the huddle. Hello,
1: let's go. Two on, two on, two, ready?
2: Hi, Brad. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I
2: Got to tell you, I've been sort of trying to formulate a plan on how to attack this conversation in the most digestible way for someone listening. But also, like, I like to get into the weeds. I want to understand things. And I think a lot of these off-season things, when we're having conversations about resources, can get a little weedy and kind of harder to understand because we're talking about it a lot of numbers, right? So... Um, I'm going to try to do this in the most digestible way possible um, because your expertise is looking at, well, how would you describe what your expertise is? I'll let you do that.
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, it is funny that I do think they try to make it more complicated than maybe it needs to be, um, which, you know, is fine. I guess, you know, it, it cre- created a job for me so I can't complain too much, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think at a large scale, it's basically looking at, Um, NFL salary cap and player contracts and doing research around position markets. And and frankly, just trying to look at it like it's any other industry or any other thing you're trying to project and to evaluate. um, But just, you know, applying it to football.
0: So if we're
2: looking at teams in the off season, and I think what I want to address here is we're going to see a lot of moves happen. We're going to see teams that just try and reshape themselves, teams that were bad, that have an opportunity to get better teams that were good, that maybe are going to try and maintain um, their standing and looking at a way to project what is likely to happen. um, There have been rankings that are created to rank from worst to first, uh, like off-season resources, who has the best opportunity to get better and who's kind of up a creek, so to speak. So if we're looking at a way to, to create a metric for that, to to just to decide who's in the best situation, who's in the worst situation. What are the things that we're looking at here to create that list?
1: Yeah. So I think one thing off the top is that folks love to look at cap space for twenty twenty two, but The way I describe the cap is it's a five-year thing, right? Because you can push contracts over five years and can spread things out. The salary cap is basically just an accounting tool. Um, So you, you can't just look at a static number. It's about what can they actually do. So first thing, you look at cap space, yes. But then secondly, how much money can they restructure? And what a restructure is very simply is the way the NFL accounts for money is if it's in a salary, it all hits in one year. If you convert it into a bonus, you can spread it over five years. So let's say your guy has $10 million in salary, you could make that five, two million dollar hits and save yourself eight million dollars in cap space. So those are the two big ones. And then of course, you know, draft capital is so important because. It's not just about adding young, good players with draft picks, but also that that is surplus value potential, right? Because they are better than the contracts they're playing on. They're worth more than the contracts they're playing on. So if you have a lot of draft picks, you can kind of save money and and enable yourself to spend around that.
0: Okay.
2: And then you also have to factor in some sort of like, how many players do they, uh, are they looking at potentially losing this off season, right? In free agency because you have to factor in some sort of like resources you might need to use to bring those players back and or loss of valuable players that you already have.
1: 110%. Right. So yeah. So what we would do is look at, at a high level, just, you know, the snaps they're going to lose. So how much on-field value truly, but then what I do is project those guys' contracts. Right. So then you can say, You know, they're losing guys or they would need to spend X dollars on this player to retain him. Yeah, you're you're already better than me. So, yeah, that is that is an important piece as well.
2: I wonder how many people who started listening are already uh, like starting to glaze over here. Um, Okay, so here's the thing. You have created a metric by which to establish value of draft capital. Is that correct? Did I see your number attached to something? The Fitzgerald Spielberger draft point chart? What is this?
1: Yes, so you mentioned folks' eyes glazing over. This probably won't help. But essentially <laughs> the, the simplest way to describe it is basically we came up with a way to put draft picks in the veteran market. So we like I said, because draft picks are, are on these, you know, these set c- contracts, right? It's all pre-slotted. There's the rookie wage scale. Because we know that all we do is essentially We found out what a player at each pick at each each position on average would be worth. So I'll give you an example. I use all the time, but basically when, when Saquon Barkley was the number two overall pick with the New York Giants, he was the fifth highest running back in the NFL the day he got drafted the next year when Nick Bosa went second overall, he was the 37th highest paid edge rusher in the NFL. So You're talking about making a guy immediately one of the highest paid guys versus a guy that's not even one of the top 32 guys in their position. So all we did was really just look at what is the surplus value if you land a guy at a certain position and what is their projected contract versus their rookie deal and then kind of, you know, finding the value in the middle.
0: So we
2: can't do that yet, right? Because we don't know who's going to draft what position.
1: Right. So we don't know, obviously, for the 2022 draft, what they're going to take. But, you know, we do know the contracts, so we know the slotted deals there. And, um, you know, you you could then look at the position markets that we currently have established and and project if they took X position, what would it look like? But, yeah, we obviously obviously need those picks to come through in April.
2: There's so much projection. So basically what we're looking at right now is who has draft capital to use, who has cap space. And as you establish, that's a little bit more complicated than just looking at like the one number that they're looking at right this second. And then who has, uh, free agents that they might lose so that we can factor in who has resources to get those people back. Um, who, who is in the best position in terms of, let's start with the teams that are in the best position to turn things around, right? Like the bad teams um, they were not what they wanted to be this year, but they do have resources, all these collective resources to change things dramatically this off season.
1: Yeah. So the top team there would be the New York jets. They obviously have two top 10 picks because they had the, the first round pick from Seattle and the Jamal Adams trade. So obviously premium draft capital to start. And then they have a ton of cap space, you know, in our top 10 in projected cap space, but also do not have a lot of players that they're currently paying a bunch. And then the last piece we mentioned free agents really not losing anyone of significant value. Safety Marcus May did play on the franchise tag and is a solid player, but I think at this point, he'll probably depart and go elsewhere. Um, so they're a team that could hopefully turn things around really quickly. I think an interesting comparable for them is they signed Carl Lawson last off season in free agency. Um, the Bengals signed DJ Reader, who was a phenomenal player for them. They signed him two years ago. He got hurt, missed almost the entire season. Kind of the same thing as Carl Lawson with the Jets. So maybe they could have, kind of two free agent classes that bolster that team, but they obviously need a lot of help.
2: What about the Jags who also have a lot of draft picks will be picking high
1: again? Yep, so same thing, a ton of draft picks. They're number one in projected cap space. They tend to be, you're allowed to carry over unused cap space from years prior, and they are big on maximizing that as much as possible and trying to roll over as much as they can. And so they've done that for a while. And I do think now that they have Trevor Lawrence in place, they could go on a bit of a spending spree and they certainly can.
2: Okay, so this is if I'm a Jets fan or I'm a Jags fan, I'm feeling optimistic at this moment?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I like to say that, you know, cab space is great, but the Jets have gone out and made a bunch of splash signings before, uh, as have the Jaguars, and, and it's not necessarily going to guarantee success, but um, I, I do like, um, with the Jets at least, I really do like their general manager and Joe Douglas. I think he is a smart guy, worked with the Ravens for a while, with the Bears, bunch of teams, um, and I think he understands that you can add valuable players and good players without breaking the bank, um, not to be pick on C.J. Mosley. But the year before he got there, they gave this massive contract to C.J. Mosley, which just didn't make any sense, frankly. I think he's going to be smarter about it, still spend, help Zach Wilson, but not you know go crazy with these, these massive deals and free agents.
2: OK, are there any other teams that we should offer hope to in terms of resources? The opportunity is here for your team to overhaul itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, my big one, and I get that it really just comes down to quarterback, but the Denver Broncos are in a phenomenal position. And I think new general manager George Payton came over from the Minnesota Vikings and has done a really good job. I mean, even just trading Von Miller for a second and third round pick, which they basically bought by doing a salary cap maneuver, which we don't have to get into, but but I think was a very smart move. If they do go out and make this big splash trade for an Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, what they've been smart in is that that's not going to limit them doing other things as well. They've been so kind of not frugal, but but very smart about how they spent their dollars. And then lastly, they already extended a lot of their key players, right? So both wide receivers, Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, already extended those guys. So they kind of can just focus on outside the building if they get a quarterback, if they add a couple other pieces. I think they could be a contender potentially.
2: A lot of people have pointed to over the last year or so, like the moves that they've made, said like it looks like they're just setting themselves up for this off season. Has it looked that way to you? Like all, like they re-signed all their wide receivers, you know, and got them on these deals. So it, it looks like they're building themselves just to plug in a quarterback this off season. Is that the way you've
1: read their moves? 110%. You know, I think he, George Payton recognized coming in, they probably weren't going to be a competitive team in 2021. I mean, look, they didn't, they didn't not do anything. They tried and, and gave Vic Fangio some pieces to, to be competitive. And they were, they were competitive in a lot of games, but um, yes, that, that is absolutely my perception. They had some kind of one-year deals for veterans that they knew they'd probably move on from. And, and now that, you know, giving a lot of snaps to young players, getting their young core, um you know, to improve on both sides of the ball. So that yes, if, if Aaron Rodgers walks through that door, they're, they're not, you know, too far away. They're kind of already there.
2: I've talked to somebody. Well, I'll name the person and then I'll give you the context. So I did a, um, like a virtual event with Terrell Davis within the last few weeks. And he told everybody on the call and I, so it was a moderated discussion, right? It's me and TD and, but there are people listening. And he was like, uh, Aaron Rodgers is coming to the Broncos. And I'm like, um, Okay. Like, you think he's going to come to the Broncos? He's like, oh, no, no, it's done. It's happening. And I'm like, why are you? I can't figure out if you're like kind of teasing me or like how much, you know, because I know, you know, people there. Like, are you saying this like a fact? Like, what's going on here? I'm trying to read between all of the lines, like how how valuable is what you're saying to me. So he was like, no, 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 hundred percent. I'm not joking. I'm not like being hyperbolic. Like this is going to happen. Just mark my words and come back and talk to me when this happens. Um, how seriously do you think I should take what he's saying?
1: Well, uh, far be it for me to doubt the great TD, but, um, no, I'm, I'm with him. I I think I'm not going to say it's a done deal, but I, I think, you know, the hiring of Nathaniel Hackett as head coach again, was not by accident. And I, and I keep saying this, He's a very well-respected coach. I've actually talked to a couple of former players, of Nathaniel Hackett, who rave about his ability to communicate and to coach. And they think, kind of funny, they think he's great for Gen Z players because he's so good at keeping things interesting, being creative in how he disseminates information. But nevertheless, Aaron Rodgers loves him, loves working with him, is a big believer in him. That hire was not by accident. Um, They've made some other moves, kind of poaching some other guys from Green Bay, Um, I think he wants to go out West. I I think he wants to return to that part of the country. It's not even so much everyone points to the roster and are are the Broncos better than the Packers. I don't think he even looks at it that way necessarily. Um, I think I would, if I had to bet on it, I would bet on him being a Bronco for sure.
2: Okay. So we're looking at the Jets and the Jags and the Broncos as three teams that we've mentioned who were not exactly what they wanted to be this past season, but have a lot of resources and room to make a big move and a big leap. Um, Of those three, I'm probably hitching my wagon to the Broncos more than the others, just because of what is already like the Jets and the Jags are coming from a place of Disparity. <laughs> so, even an overhaul there, like best case scenario, I don't know where that leaves them. I feel like the Broncos, kind of as a middle of the pack team with the resources to overhaul themselves this offseason, kind of puts them more in like a Super Bowl conversation or, or at the very least, a playoff conversation if they plug in the right quarterback. And if the right quarterback in this scenario is Aaron Rodgers, then we're talking about a totally different set of circumstances. What about the teams on the other side of that equation? Teams that were not good that do not have the resources to dramatically change their position this year. We have just gone through an awful season and we are here to offer no hope to their fan base. That's
1: yeah. <laughs> um, that would be the New York giants. They went on a massive spending spree last year. They had one of the most, the most active free agencies. Kenny Galladay got the biggest wide receiver contract by a wide margin. Basically did nothing for them, but he's not, you can't really move on Um Adore Jackson, a big deal at corner. You know, he was okay. He's always had injury issues. They popped up again. Um, you know, May Leonard Williams one of the highest paid interior defensive linemen in the NFL. Certainly a phenomenal player, but you know, they're they're just not, they weren't a couple pieces away and they kind of act like they were a couple pieces away. Um, they do have two top seven picks because of the Justin Fields trade. So they have the Bears first round pick, but in terms of spending on free agents, they just don't really have the resources to do it.
2: Okay. So the Giants not in a great spot. Anyone
1: else? Yeah. So the Minnesota Vikings and a big part of this is Kirk Cousins. It does sound like Kevin O'Connell who worked with Cousins in Washington, you know, many years ago, does want to keep him around and they'll probably find a way to extend him. But his $45 million cap hit is the second biggest cap hit in the NFL. Um, and the roster is just not very solid. I mean, Daniel Hunter, their best edge rusher, they either have to extend him or trade him. He has this kind of this, this ultimatum in his contract that came from last off season. I just think, you know they they don't have a lot of talent. They have almost no depth, which has been an issue for them for a while. Um, and they don't really have the resources to fix that. And also one more to throw in to, to make another fan base sad. But the Atlanta Falcons are uh, the Atlanta Falcons are not in a good position on.
0: No,
1: no. So the Falcons have this is a crazy stat. I I keep saying, but they have five players, including Julio Jones, who's not on the Falcons. Um, if people don't know that, um, they're taking up 130 million dollars of their salary cap for 2022, which is five players. Two, again five guys you yes. five okay Matt Ryan Grady Jarrett Dion Jones Jake Matthews their left tackle and Julio Jones who's not on the team Um, that's about two-thirds of the entire salary cap and yes they can they can maneuver that and push money down the line but they're not a talented football team and they're already in a very bad cap situation
2: okay so since we started with the Jets and we we're suggesting that they actually are set to have a pretty good off season at least whether that leads to a good regular season is a different story Let's talk about two of the other teams that were kind of in the same conversation as the Jets, as the worst teams in the NFL this year, the Texans, what, what did they look like in terms of their offseason abilities?
1: So the Texans are tough because what they tried to do last year was clear up some room and add all these veterans and, and fix the culture. And, and I'm sure part of that was successful bringing in a lot of, you know, established veteran guys that I think probably helped them kind of turn things around, but they're going to have what we call dead cap space, which is essentially just cap space allocated to players not on the roster. Like, you know, the Julio Jones mentioned, they have so, this long list of guys that are going to have dead cap hits, including potentially, you know, Deshaun Watson taking up about 20 million in cap space as well, um, you know, to not be on the roster. So there's still a couple of years away. and I, But I do think they realize that. Uh, They're not going to, you know, try to fix the team in one off season. Um, But yeah, they're they're, they're not in a great spot. Uh, At least they have a first round pick for the first time in a while, though. So that that should be fun for fans.
2: What about my favorite bad team this year? The Lions, because I loved the way that they played. They played with so much, you know, they they were in every game, even when they weren't. They were like fighting as if they were in every game. Um, I think that Dan Campbell has shown that he can be a really good coach in that sense, right? Like he's got some other game management things that he needs to work on, but I kind of like the culture that they're building. They do not have the roster at the moment to be competitive with some of the better teams in the NFL. Is there any hope that they will uh, be more so next year?
1: So I totally agree with you. And I also know kind of underrated behind the scenes, they've really revamped that front office. Um, their, their VP of football administration, Mike Disner is, is a really important figure there and has done a lot to bring in folks on, you know, t- salary cap analytics, all sorts of different things. Um, they're in a bit of a tough spot. I mean, Jared Goff, you know, his contract is, is not small, but that's why he's a Detroit lion and why they were able to get that second, first round pick, at least in my opinion, um, Stafford was not traded for two firsts and a third. In my opinion, Stafford was traded for a first and a third. And then Jared Goff was attached to a first round pick to get rid of him. Um, so still a bit of a tough spot, but they, they can make some moves. And I think they will make some some moves here and there. And I love general manager Brad Holmes in Detroit. I have the utmost confidence in him. So they'll get there, but I don't think 2022 will be a, a super competitive year.
2: Who are some other general managers since you're like, this is your lane. You kind of study what they do more so than the coaches. Who are the other general managers who have made the best of whatever situation they've been given? Who's impressed you?
1: You know, I think the Baltimore Ravens are kind of the gold standard. Um, Eric DeCosta is their general manager who took over for Ozzie Newsome, who was, you know, arguably maybe the best general manager in, in NFL history. Frankly, um, they're always kind of doing things differently. Um, you know, exploring edges, finding edges as it relates to player valuation, player contracts. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles are the same. I mean, I think it's funny. We talked about how they were, you know, if we had this conversation last offseason, I would be saying they're in the worst position and they're in a terrible spot and all these things. And they are willing to do things differently than other clubs. I mean, they set a record when they traded Carson Wentz, taking on the largest dead cap hit in NFL history. He he, he was the highest cap hit on the Eagles roster this year was Carson Wentz. So, But by doing that and, and actually hitting the reset button and being honest with themselves about just like flushing the, and, and moving on, they're now in a pretty good spot. So I, I respect Howie Roseman in Philadelphia as well.
2: How are they in a good spot? What, what is their resource breakdown look like?
1: So they still do have some, some older guys and some tough kind of dead cap situations. Cause what they did is they pushed a bunch of money down the road, kind of like the New Orleans saints are famous for, um, you know, I, I older guys like Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, who obviously just retired, um, you know, has gotten injured. You know, Fletcher Cox is not quite what he used to be still a good player, but has this gigantic cap hit because they keep pushing money down the line on him. But Things they've done that now enable them to, to be smart and make additions and spend. One example, extending Jordan Mailata, their left tackle before this season, he was our number one rated tackle in wins above replacement this year. And they signed him to a deal for $16 million per year, which, I mean, the top tackles are making $22, $23 million per year. He now, that savings enables them to spend elsewhere, enables them to do other things, maybe add a receiver for Devontae Smith, do whatever. So, um, and of course, they, you know, they have extra draft. They have three first round picks. So um, they, they can do they can do a lot. And, and Howie Roseman do, does not, you know, he he doesn't sit out of a single deal. They're, they're going to be active.
2: What do you think that they are most likely to prioritize?
1: Trading for Russell Wilson is probably the uh, the top priority, if I have a guess. Really? <laughs> I, I, I don't see how they sit out. I, you know, I, I get I, I like Jalen Hurts this year. I thought he had a good year. I think the beauty of what he did is that if nothing does materialize, they have no reason to force a first-round pick on one of these prospects that, that I'm not a fan of. They should just bide their time, give Hurts another year, maybe he takes another step. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't see them as, as believing he is the long-term answer. Um, you know, he would be due for an extension soon, and I think if they can bring in a true franchise quarterback like a Russell Wilson and still have solid draft capital, a decent roster, not great, but decent, um, and, and some money to spend, I think they would do that.
2: Okay, so since we've broached the quarterback conversation, then Russell is obviously one of the guys. Do you expect him to move? Do you think that that is more likely than him staying in Seattle?
1: I do. Um, Just real quick note on on like this is funny. This is why I think contracts and salary cap are interesting. The, The Seahawks didn't redo his deal last year, so everyone needed to create cap space, right? The salary cap dropped because of COVID. And so everyone needed to do everything they could by redoing all their deals to create room. The Seattle Seahawks restructured basically every single contract on their roster, except for Russell Wilson, because they did not want to push any money into the future. Because when you do that, of course, you then make the trade and you have more cash that you're kind of, you know, you have to account for. Um, So they did not do that. And I think it's because they wanted to keep their options open. Um, And I also, you know, I've heard from folks like he may not have to force his way out. They may want to part ways with him just as much as he wants to part ways with them.
2: What would it cost? Do you think,
1: you know, you're you're 100% getting a first. I I think a second first is probably in the conversation. Um, He's interesting, though, because I do think NFL folks kind of view him as limited in what he's able to do. So he's obviously a phenomenal player, but so much of what he excels at is outside of structure. It's when, you know, of course, he's running around like crazy and it's, you know, five seconds after the snap. And he's finding, you know, Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf down the field. That's not really sustainable, right? Like he doesn't run. I think we talk about the Bengals like this a lot too, where their offense was kind of it was so like disjointed, and they would just have to have a, a bomb to Jamar Chase or a bomb to T Higgins, but they didn't actually like sustain drives and like get a bunch of first downs and do stuff like that. And so there's concerns of Wilson that he can't really run quick game. He doesn't, he never throws the ball over the middle, he's afraid of throwing over the middle. And I don't know if that's a hype thing or you know, all these you know crazy conspiracies come in, but um <laughs> but yeah, so you know he's gonna get a first-round pick. He probably could get two first-round picks, but I don't think he's going to get some gigantic, you know, like massive, massive trade. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 franchise quarterback. So you're still going to get at least probably two firsts.
2: Okay. So you mentioned the Eagles as a team you expect to be in on that. Who else, who else is an obvious team that should, that you, you think will be in that conversation?
1: You know, I, I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers don't have any interest in, in passing the reins to, to a, you know, a rookie and Kyle Trask, I guess, sophomore now in Kyle Trask. I think they still view this roster, um, you know, as as a win-now roster. I mean, they have a lot of really good players all over both sides of the ball. They obviously extended a bunch of them last offseason. Yes, they have some tough calls. on You know, Chris Godwin is up for a new deal, stuff like that. But, I think they still would rather bring in another veteran, try to do basically the exact same thing they just did with Tom Brady. Um, and then one final one: the Washington Football Team are going to do whatever it takes. They they cannot go into another season with it with a decent roster. Um, and just have, frankly, below replacement level quarterback play.
2: Yeah, the Washington Football Team was, I think maybe the team that disappointed me the most in terms of what I expected from them and what I actually got from them. And part of that's not their fault, right? Like you plug in Ryan Fitzpatrick, you expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to be your guy, no offense to Heineke, but that wasn't the plan going into the season. And so, you know, the plan kind of blew apart in a bunch of different ways this year and injuries were not their friend and stuff like that. But so the, the, the commanders, uh, uh, that's why <laughs> it's, it's so tough. We're going to change their name every off season. Now, apparently um, and maybe their owner. Anyway, sidebar. Uh, what about their resources? Do they have the resources to to make a big move like that?
1: Yeah, they're in a healthy spot. They're I don't want to say frugal, but they're a team that doesn't really do early extensions. So, like, they would have no problem letting a Terry McLaurin go into the final year of his contract, which is something that other teams probably wouldn't want to do. Um, you know, Deron Payne going into his fifth year option, they probably have no problem with that. Also, Montez Sweat, I think they would be comfortable just letting him continue to play. So. Because they're willing to let, and we saw with Brandon Sheriff, they just let him play on, you know, two franchise tags for God knows why. Um, you know, like they're, they're, they have a cheap roster they can spend around it. And, and look, I think they have, like, I like Scott Turner, their offensive coordinator a lot. I like their offensive line a lot. Um, I think it's an attractive destination, unfortunately, except for, as you alluded to, uh, the man up top.
2: Yeah. Love Terry McLaurin. Love Antonio Gibson, if he can stay healthy. I love Ron Rivera. I, I wonder, though, the commanders feel like a team. That it might be in a tough position in terms of pulling in free agents, partially because of their history and how they've treated some big name guys on the offensive line in particular, but also all of this controversy surrounding them right now. Like if I'm a Russell Wilson, I don't know if I have other options that the commanders are the team that I want to pick unless it's. No,
1: 110%.
2: (laughs) So. Okay. So that's interesting. What about Deshaun Watson and another guy that I wouldn't necessarily pick if my uh, options were plentiful? Um, That's a tough situation for a lot of teams. Can you imagine if he went to Washington? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Just like all of the controversy converged into one. Uh, Also the, the women have, who are trying to get Congress to look into the team might not appreciate that particular signing, but again, that's a different conversation. Uh, What would you need to have in order to acquire him this offseason? And how many teams do have the resources uh, necessary?
1: Yeah, so you know, it sounds like by all indications that his price has not dropped, right? That that general manager Nick Casario came from the Patriots and said, "Look, I, we will trade him, but not at a discount. We still think he is a you know potential top five quarterback. He doesn't want to be here, but he could have played this season if they if they let him, right? So as far as we know, he is still mm-hmm. eligible to play football. It mm-hmm. just takes another franchise willing to do that. So I think it's it's three firsts, and then I think three assets that are either day two picks, so second or third rounders, or Starting caliber players on rookie contracts, so six really, really premium assets. I think, yeah, it's it's that high because look, he's not, he still has five years left in his contract. Um, it, you know, his quarterback contracts explode every year, and and obviously now with the, with the, the new TV money and all of that, we're probably going to have a fifty million per year quarterback soon, and he's at forty, so he'll be he'll be a discount soon. Um, it's the it's going to be a massive haul, even with all the question marks around him. I I don't think that number changes.
2: So you say that he could have played and that's true right now, but if somebody had tried to play him, I don't know that that would have remained true because then the commissioner is put in a position where he has to say like, okay, now you're putting me in a position where I have to come up with some sort of, excuse me, where I have to come up with some sort of, um, um, not punishment, but you know what I mean? I need to take the situation into account considering the suspension that Ben Roethlisberger got and using that as a guide. And then, you know, this, this current situation, I just feel like what we talked about last year was it it's hard for a team to trade without the legal situation sorted out. Do you think that with the legal situation still not being sorted out, that it is likely that a team will make this move this offseason?
1: I think the only team that would do it is probably the Carolina Panthers. Um, and that's just because, you know, I, I think they're desperate. And, and I think um, if they don't get a quarterback, you know, when, when the Vegas odds come out for first head coach fired in 2022, um, if they're starting the guys they currently have or, or, you know, a Teddy Bridgewater or something like that, Matt Rule's going to get fired before the season's over. So as much as it's icky to say that's like an incentive to do this, I mean, that's that's the reality of the NFL. Um, Other clubs, I, I don't know. Uh, I think Philadelphia, frankly, would consider it. Um, I mean, they obviously very different, of course, but they had the Michael Vick situation that they, they navigated. You mentioned Pittsburgh. I don't think they would do it without having the legal situation fixed. I do think they would do it, though, with the legal situation fixed.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah, I think if the legal situation is fixed, we're having a totally different conversation. It just opens the door to a bunch of different teams, right? But that's a different conversation than than I I know that we want to have with you because you're just specifically talking about resources. That's your lane of expertise. The rest of this is kind of becomes like, is it too much of a PR nightmare and something that a team doesn't want to take on, which is a totally different conversation there are other quarterbacks that we expect to be on the move this year. This is a weird year. It's not even a weird year. Actually. I remember having this conversation last year. There were so many quarterback needy teams. That's a theme. There are again, a lot of quarterback needy teams, not necessarily uh, all in a position to go get one of these big name quarterbacks. um, But because there are so many teams that do need the quarterbacks, it helps a guy like a Jimmy Garoppolo or one of those guys that might be like in that second tier or maybe even third uh, what do you expect Jimmy Garoppolo to go for? And who do you expect to be in on him?
1: Yeah, so there, there was a report that Washington would would consider giving up a first round pick for him. I mean, I think that's, that's a really tough sell personally. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a huge Jimmy Garoppolo believer. I mean, look, I think he would go for a second round pick, maybe a second and a fourth, something like that. Um, the thing that matters for all these things in every NFL trade, and I think folks often overlook this, is. I like to say NFL teams are trading for the contract as much as they're trading for the player. And Jimmy Garoppolo is going to the final year of his deal, has a very big $24 million base salary. But also, the day you execute that trade, he has all the leverage in the world to then ask for a massive extension, right? Because you've already kind of made the decision. You had the sunk cost. We saw that with Jalen Ramsey. We saw that with Laramie Tunsil. We saw it with Khalil Mack. You can go down the list of all these guys, Jamal Adams. When they got traded for the big picks, they became the highest-paid player at their position months later. So that's a tough reality with Garoppolo. Whereas I don't think he's worth the first. You may have to give a first, and you're giving him a huge contract. And I don't think a team is winning with with Jimmy Garoppolo on a top-end deal and without draft capital.
2: Okay, so timeout. How many years left? How, how many years does he have left on his current deal? One. Just one. One. What would put a team in a position to say, we're going to take you, but we're going to take you now. We're not going to give you an extension because you're not worth it. Would that have to be if there was no other market, no no other suitors for his services? Because you make a good point. I can't imagine giving him an extension or at least paying him top dollar. None of that makes sense to me. So how do we make this work? Because he's going to go somewhere.
1: Right. I mean, that's the thing is is he signed a five year $137 million extension before he'd even been a starter. You know, he did that in San Francisco. So he even has his own personal precedent. You know, I think it's tough. I mean, you could definitely trade for him and say, hey, look, we're we're comfortable going into franchise tag waters if we have to do that. And so that is that is the alternative, is you make the trade and you say, We're willing to risk that you know we don't extend him and we'll see what happens. But then what happens there is you say, We're not giving you maybe a second alone. Um, or maybe you tell yourself, you know, if the highest pick is a third, then we're fine with, if we bring them in, we don't like it. We move on. It's not a waste. I mean, we, you know, the the, the Colts might move on from Wentz after giving up more than that. Um, so that's the alternative. It's just, it's tough and it's tricky because as a general manager, you make this big splash move. And then if you just move on a year later, it, it kind of looks erratic. And, and I don't know,
0: know that that looks like a
2: splash move though. To me, that looks like a bridge.
1: That's fair. No, one hundred percent fair. Um, yeah, if you don't if you don't have to give up premium capital, then I think it's fine, and you just say, hey, look, we want to be competitive. We're the Washington Football Team. You know, Garoppolo compared to Heineke is going to get you hopefully you know nine ten wins at least. Um, yeah, no, I think that's fair to look at it that way. You know
2: what? The other thing to I think we have to keep in mind with Garoppolo is I think we all agree that. And there was a lot of controversy about like how good he was or how valuable he was and how we should gauge that he is not your traditionally elite quarterback. He's just not, he might be good enough, but he was a good enough quarterback in a really specific offense, right. With a coach who would put him in all of the right positions and kind of, I think created an offense that made up for whatever deficiencies he had as a quarterback to me you have to be really confident that you have the right offensive minds, that that's the offense you're plugging him into. You're not like drop back and go long, Jimmy, and just be our guy. Like you have to create an offense around him. So to me, that narrows the 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 number of, of teams that even should be interested in him. That's not to say that they won't and that they won't just make a bad decision, but it feels like it limits the number of, of realistic partners for uh Jimmy Garoppolo trade.
1: I agree 110%. And I think one that you kind of rule out, at least in my opinion, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for that reason. I mean, they run a, a, a drop back passing system. They want to throw the ball down the field. It, it's not air raid, but you know, it's, it's run and shoot. And, and that's just not what he does. You need a play action based offense where you're, the run game is the focal point of your offense. And then off of that run action, he can run play action and throw the ball 22 times a game and just not make mistakes and just don't lose games for you. That is what you're looking for. And yeah, that, that does shrink the list down.
2: Okay. So who else are we looking for or looking at here in, from a quarterback standpoint, this offseason? who else intrigues you at that position?
1: Yeah. So, you know, like I said, it sounds like Kirk Cousins is not a, a real option. I think Derek Carr is now going to go ahead and get extended by, by the, the Raiders as well. Um, is that a smart move on. by them? I think so yes I, I mean it's 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 one of these very impossible situations but look he's not even 30 years old um he, and and I think that's big insane he's team, not even 30 right isn't that crazy why do I feel like he's so much older than that but I think he's been starting since day one so he kind of you know, I want to say he got drafted in 2015 or 14 and, and he's basically been the starter since day one and um yeah so so that, that obviously yeah like now you're like oh I'm in so um you know I think it is worth it because I also think his biggest knock for the for a bunch of years, which is maybe fair, was that he, he had a really good offensive line, and that kind of enabled him to do things. The last two years, his offensive line has been terrible, and he's been really really good still, very productive. They, of course, I mean, we could we could spend a whole podcast talking about the things he had to overcome this season. So, I I do think it's worth it, but. At the same time, you know, is there going to be a scenario where they're kind of like the Vikings and they had this high-priced quarterback and it, it causes issues to the rest of the roster and then their ceiling kind of becomes the playoffs? I mean, yeah, probably a, a possibility.
2: All right. All the tools are there, though. What do you make of the Arizona situation with Kyler
1: Murray? Yeah, that's a a bizarre, bizarre situation. Um, I I think it's kind of nonsense. Um, You know, I think what's interesting there is that there was this trend for years where your first-round quarterbacks go, so the first time you can sign an extension is after your third season. And any guy that showed even a little bit of promise, that's probably not nice. Anyone who showed a decent amount of promise basically got that extension. They became one of the higher-paid quarterbacks in the NFL. We saw it with, you know, 2016 was Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. The moment the season ended, those guys were both right up there,
2: and and both that worked out great in both cases.
1: Exactly right, and so I think that honestly gave those two situations gave team a lot of pause, and I think the Cleveland Browns with Baker Mayfield, the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson, I think because of those situations, they said, hey, let's let's pump the brakes here a little bit, and so I think maybe Murray's perceptive to that and realizes like. It's not going to be a slam dunk sure thing. They're going to come to me and say, you know, we want to give you, because look, he's going to be asking for 40 plus million dollars per year. And that's his market. I mean, he's the number one overall pick. He, you know, they, they like that's his market. And so I think it's a little bit of gamesmanship. I think he will be an Arizona Cardinal week one, 2022. Um, but it is, it is bizarre.
2: If he did get a new deal, what does that do to like, do they have the resources to give him that?
1: They do hundred percent, but it would definitely, you know, their approach last off season was adding a ton of like kind of older veterans, right? I mean, TJ or JJ Watt and and AJ Green, all these guys, it makes things a little bit tougher for them, but I think they would find a way, but the the problem with them is their draft classes the last like four or five years have been awful. I'm not even really sure frankly how general manager Steve Kime survived the Josh Rosen, the trade-up and draft pick of Josh Rosen. um, You know, he got, he got lucky with, with Kyler falling to number one the following year, but It's definitely going to be tough Um, and it's going to, it's going to cause them to maybe not be able to bring back a guy like a Chandler Jones. Maybe he has to go elsewhere, Um, but yeah, I mean, you you always have money for the franchise quarterback. You you can find it.
2: Okay. Then that brings me to the conversation about teams that were good this year that are trying to maintain their status. Which of those teams is going to find themselves in the toughest position to maintain?
1: Oof. So, so the Green Bay Packers are definitely at the top of that list. Uh, I mean, there's a reason they, you know, kind of set all in and, and had all these things last year because it, it's going to be very tough. I mean, it is possible. I'm not going to say it's not possible. But if they want to bring back both Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, it, it's looking like you maybe move on from one or both of Zedarius Smith and Preston Smith. Um, you know, two quality edge rushers. Yes, Z'Darrius missed almost the whole year, but was phenomenal for them for years before. You're getting into, you know, are you cutting Adrian Amos, a really good safety um, it, it just like they can do it, but it's just a question of how much are they going to lose around that? Um, so they're, they're in a tough spot for sure.
0: And then
2: if they if if they do lose around it, that's specifically what Aaron Rodgers was talking about. Like, I don't want to be a part of a rebuild. Like, so if it takes all of your resources to bring him and Devante back, like, is your defense going to suck? Or are you still not going to be competitive? He doesn't want to be there for that.
1: Exactly. And, and, and it's possible because like, I mean, look, Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas, who were huge for them, like those guys, would they would have no possibility of bringing them back. Like it's it, it makes things very challenging um, if they do want to bring both guys back.
2: OK, what, this might be a situation where some people I think where cap and maneuverability comes up, there are always people that are like, oh, but that's just you can always get around that. Is there no way for the Packers to get around that?
1: so they've kind of already done it. So the way the Packers structure their contracts is they don't really guarantee money outside of signing bonuses. It's the only way they do guarantee money. So they already have a ton of their money in signing bonuses. So like we talked about at the beginning of the show, the way other teams create space is like the saints, for example, all their money for 2022 is in salary. So yes, it looks like they're a hundred million dollars over the, cap. it's about 75 million over the cap, but they can restructure a ton of deals on their, on their roster. Whereas the Packers they've kind of already done that. Like they don't really have means to, to create more space. That's the issue.
2: Okay. So the Packers might be screwed. Are the saints screwed? You mentioned the saints.
1: I mean, the thing with the Saints is they, they can create a ton of space, but like they don't really have a talented roster anymore. Like, I, I mean, they do. Obviously they, they had a, in my opinion, a great year. I thought they were going to win like three games this year. So I was, I was wrong on that.
2: With an awful, ro- I, I'm with you. I was like, how did they do this? And how is Sean Payton not being mentioned for coach of the year? Because you look at this roster and you're like, there's from a fantasy standpoint, there's no one here. I want, right. Like aside from Kamara. like, I don't want any part of this. That's not a good sign. And they still won so many games.
1: And I, I'm like, I like Sean Payton, it's never going to happen, but he probably should have won coach of the year. Like, and if they made the playoff, yeah, it, it was crazy. I mean, it's crazy. So yeah, I mean, like, yes, they can get, uh, we, you know, Saints fans love to kind of hate people like me. Cause we say they're in a terrible position and they figure it out and they're fine. Yes. They can create room, but can they add free agents? Not really. Are they going to lose a guy like Marcus Williams, a really good safety? Probably. I mean, they lost Trey Hendrickson last off season to the Bengals and he was phenomenal. Like it's just tough. And then the thing too is, They've been kind of low key lucky with like I mean Cam Jordan is 32 and and it doesn't never misses a snap at any point ever. Malcolm Jenkins is 32 and been, never miss like they got Demario Davis is 33 and never misses a snap. Like eventually those guys are gonna start wearing down and then it's like it could be a disaster.
2: Okay, do they have draft resources? What's their
1: drafts look like? They're actually okay. Yeah, they they, they hate draft picks. They they like to get rid of them, but they do. Um, they have an extra third round pick because Terry Fontenot, the general manager for the Falcons. Um, was a minority GM candidate from their building, so they get an extra third-round pick there. Um, they, yeah, I mean, they do, but it, and they are great. They have had a recent track record of being phenomenal in the draft. But at the end of the day, I mean, can can a new coach scheme up Taysom Hill and 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 figure out an offense? I mean, Michael Thomas coming back would help, but I just I just don't see it.
2: Okay, so. I mentioned the Saints. We're talking about teams that were good that might not have the resources to maintain their standing next year. You mentioned the Packers. I threw the Saints in the conversation. It sounds to me like they belong in the conversation. Anyone else?
1: You know, I think the Cowboys, they're still going to be good. But we've heard a lot of Jerry Jones saying, like, we missed our window. And he's 100% right. I mean, you look at the free agents they have the last two years really, but, but like, I mean, Michael Gallup, and yes, he's hurt now, but a very good wide receiver. Dalton Schultz is going to become a top five paid tight end in the NFL, whether that's from them or someone else, I think they'll probably franchise tag him and keep him. But I mean, Randy Gregory has been phenomenal for them. He's probably not, I mean, they could try to extend him, but if he wants to cash out, he's 30 and hitting free agency for the first time in his career, he might want to get that one big deal and Dallas couldn't give it to him. Like you go to the list, there's just so many guys that they're probably going to lose. Um, it's going to be tough for them to be as good as they were this year.
2: It's so interesting to me that, well, the contrast there, that you have him saying, Jerry Jones, that we missed our window. And then you've got the Rams, who people kept framing it as if they had this one window, like Eminem, one shot, don't miss your shot, whatever. I I don't think that that front office views their team build that way at all. And I've talked to Jordan Rodrigue a lot and she's tried to like, she's been screaming from the rooftops. Like that's not what they're doing. They're just building it differently. And they fully expect to be in it every single year. And they think that this model that they're following is sustainable. Do you see it that way?
1: So the thing with them that, that I think folks overlook is that they, it's, it's a cohesive strategy. And so look, they, they have had a first round pick since they took Jared Goff in the first round of 2016 Yet they are there. I think they're top seven in total draft picks since that time. And that's including all the picks they're trading away because what they do is they trade down a ton. General manager Les Snead, I think, is one of the best in the NFL at maneuvering around the draft. And what they do is they just get from the second round to the fourth round and, and some fifth and sixth and seventh. I think that's kind of random. But still, in those middle rounds, They just nail it, but they also maximize their dart throws. And that's how you get guys like Cooper Cup and and guys that are, you know, kind of fall and are in that range and they just keep doing that. So it's because it's a cohesive strategy. Look, they have a lot. I mean, is Odell now maybe not going to be able to come back or not be a productive member of the team? Um, We don't know. Von Miller probably looking for a strong deal They'll probably give it to him. But I mean, look, both their left guard and their center are up for big, or right guard, Austin Corbett and center Brian Allen are up for big deals. Long story short, the answer is yes, because I think they're so good at what they do you know, cohesively. um, But that's why it's been sustainable.
2: And if Aaron Donald retires, does the whole thing blow up?
1: Yes, he's a force multiplier where, I mean, he's just so good that that it's also why they've been able to do everything they've been doing, because you have the most impactful player in the NFL on one side of the ball for you. Um, Yeah, it makes things very, very challenging. I do think he's looking for some new money and doesn't actually want to retire, though. (laughs)
2: No, that's your read of the situation.
1: Yeah. And he deserves every penny of it. He he became the highest paid defensive player uh, when he signed his his past extension. He's now eighth. um, And he has no reason not to be first.
2: (laughs) He should not be eighth ever Yep. (laughs) from now until the end of time. Uh, So what other teams I'm going to put the Rams in this category, because I decided that they should be there and you haven't said anything to sway me, which teams that were good this year are positioned to remain good.
1: I think two that jump off the page are the Cincinnati Bengals, which is great news for them, and the Los Angeles Chargers. Both, uh, I want to say, top five in our current projected cap space for 2022, um, and both of those teams, you know, don't really mess around with pushing money down the road. So they could, act, you know, that, that number actually isn't even reflective of how healthy their cap space is. Um, we've seen this trend the last several years of when your rookie contract quarterback is going into their third year, you spend like crazy. This past offseason season was the Giants and the Cardinals. The year before that was the you know the Browns, the Ravens, the, the Buffalo Bills. You want to maximize this rookie contract window. And of course, like I said, you're, you're you're due for an extension after your third year. So that's kind of the last year where it's guaranteed you're going to have that. Um, I think both are going to be very aggressive. They have all the resources and means to do so. Um, and I think they both could be like really, really good rosters next year.
2: Okay, that's interesting. So now that we've talked about, I guess, the teams that have resources and don't, we already touched on a lot of the quarterbacks that we think um, – will are likely to potentially move. Um, what about other people that team will use these resource teams will use these resources on? Are there free agents that you see as the guys that are the ones that teams are going to most likely try to go get?
1: Yeah. You know, I think if the New Orleans Saints would let Toronto Armstead out of the building, which, you know, we'll see if that becomes a reality. I think with Sean Payton leaving, everything changes, but I mean, you don't get a left tackle on the free agent market as good as Teron Armstead, um, Teron Armstead very often. Um, so I think teams would go crazy there. Um, obviously, you know Devontae Adams if if he gets out. But the tough thing is, you know, a lot of the good players. I mean, Chris Godwin was our number three ranked, you know, free agent. Obviously, with the, the ACL tear that changes things. Um, I think you know cornerbacks like a J.C. Jackson if the Patriots let him go, which you know they, they tend to be fine with. We'll see if they still you know they keep with that strategy of just letting guys walk. Um, I think teams could go crazy there, but. It's not a great free agent class, frankly. I, there's not a ton of marquee guys, um, but again, my, my philosophy is you're looking for those middle tier guys anyway. That's that's how you make your money in free agency. So it should be a, still be a pretty active and, and important free agency.
2: All about value. Who's who's are there any names in that tier that like are good but not stars that are in this year's free agency class that come to mind? Like a John Johnson last year, right? Like that was a great free agency signing for Cleveland. Maybe that type of guy
1: hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think Michael Gallup is a name that I loved before his injury, of course, but there are a lot of weapons like that. I think there's also guys like Emmanuel Ogbon in Miami an impactful edge rusher has 60 plus pressures the last two years. And, and maybe they move on there. Um, and I think there's a bunch of just like really good veterans too. Like like Casey Hayward was a great signing for the Raiders. He's back on the market. Melvin Ingram was a huge pickup for the Kansas city chiefs, with that, that trade in the middle of the season, there's a lot of those guys that you bring in that are difference-making veterans that you're not spending a ton on, uh, but, but really have a huge impact on your team.
2: Okay, so what other off-season storylines are you tracking and most interested in at this point?
1: Yeah, you know, I think there could be some other big trades too. I mean, it sounds like Calvin Ridley maybe could be on the move from Atlanta. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think as we talk about the Rams, one interesting thing with them is I think more teams are going to be realistic with themselves about where they are. And that's going to lead to more player movement because they're going to be more comfortable kind of cutting bait and, and realizing, hey, we're a couple of years away or, or you know, whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's going to be, it's going to, like you said, it's going to be a very active, I think, trade market again, both quarterback and non-quarterback. Um, you know, I mentioned Calvin Ridley. Now, of course, I'm blanking. But, you know, I think there's a lot of names that, that could be interesting in the trade market.
2: Brad, I really appreciate your time. Like, th- I feel like this has been an inquisition. I mean, if there's ever like a pick your brain interview to happen, it's this one. I'm just like, tell me more about this. Tell me more about this. These are things I don't know. This is not my lane at all. So I really appreciate you making time to kind of share your expertise with those of us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. That's that's what I'm hopefully here for. Thanks so much, Brad.
2: If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a five-star rating and also a review. Both would be helpful. Uh, also, if you could subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app. Free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. For video clips of the show and more, follow me on Twitter, Lindsay underscore roads. I'm also on Instagram at roads, NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. And a special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen.
0: SiriusXM Podcasts.